Ryan House asked that we'd remember Amber. She's been under the weather with some kind of sickness. And Kim Lind also texted me and said, please pray for my friend, Lori, an incredible nurse who has gone on our Guatemala trips for many years. She got COVID on Thanksgiving, required to be on a ventilator for 10 days, got off the ventilator on Christmas Day, praise God, and the doctors can't find the reason why she... I want to start uh, my, my sermon this morning just with uh, a pretty simple question. What does it mean to submit? Hmm. The definition of submit means to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Well, the word submission, I don't know if you've noticed, that is a word that is not in style today. (laughs) Submission is viewed as something that is very negative. In fact, not just negative. It's very negative. After all, submission, you could argue, is the opposite of freedom. Hmm. And freedom, so we've been told is the most important virtue. Now, please hear me. Freedom is valuable and important. But I believe it is a dangerous lie to view freedom as the most important virtue. This kind of thinking leads to disastrous consequences for persons, families, communities, and nations. I do not think that freedom is the most important virtue. So why isn't freedom the most important virtue? Well, because I believe that submission to God is more important than personal, family, community, or national freedom. Submission to God is the more important virtue. Stewardship does not happen without submission. Lord, as we talk about stewardship today, as we open your word, it is with hope and expectation that you will meet us here. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word. Interpret for us what you have given us so that we can apply it to our lives. Amen. Well, I do hope that you had a wonderful new year. And I'm wondering, are you ready for 2022? I'm not. I don't know about you, but I still think it's 2020. Right? Like, I don't, like 2021 didn't even happen. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where I, I feel like I'm at right now. And it's like all of a sudden 2022, but I feel like it's still 2020. How should we start another year, 2022? Well, can I offer a suggestion for how to start 2022? You ready for this? We should start 2022 focused on Jesus. 
with our eyes on the cross, with our eyes on the Savior, with a remembrance of what he's done and what he's going to do. How should we start 2022? With a a dedication, with a perseverance to say, I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a lifelong, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want to live my life in such a way that I recognize Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Not just one and not just the other, both. My Savior and my Lord. What does that look like in everyday life? What does that look like? Well, that's a very broad question that has really answers that I could just spend the rest of the year preaching on, and I probably will. What does it look like in everyday life to follow Jesus as a fully devoted disciple, follower of him? Today, because that, that concept is very broad, I want to speak about one specific area of life in which we can become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's a, it's a tie-in with my sermon from last week. Last week we talked about stewardship, and I, and I used the, the terms temple, territory, talents, time, and treasure. Temple, territory, talents, time, and treasure. Of those five T's, uh, the treasure one, I barely touched on last week because I said we're going to talk about it this week. So today, that one area of life that I want to focus on is treasure, your money. How do we live our life as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ regarding our money? Well, last week, uh, I showed you a passage of Scripture <coughs> Excuse me, that you're familiar with probably. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can uh, follow along in your Bible if you'd like. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, when you worship money, when you have a love for money or for possessions, for things, you are asking, well, if you read this passage just the way it is, you're asking to pierce yourself with griefs. Have you ever considered that? Now, we are in a supply chain crisis in the United States of America. And why is that? Because we are buying stuff. We're buying so much stuff, they can't ship it over fast enough. They can't unload the ships fast enough because we haven't dealt with 2021 or we haven't even dealt with 2020. And so instead of dealing with it, we just buy stuff. Do you want to know a secret? It's not very hard to figure out, but I'm going to say it anyways. Buying stuff doesn't help the issue you're trying to deal with. Is that, is that true? Buying stuff doesn't help. Because when you love money, when you're eager for, eager for money, and you think the possession, the buying things, 
is going to cure what or, or scratch that itch that you've been having for the past year and a half, you will pierce yourself with many griefs. There you go. That's the biblical answer to the supply chain issue. Stop buying stuff. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that tricky. It's not that tricky, right? Now, I also want to uh, highlight Hebrews chapter 13, 5. I didn't say this last week, but I think this is worth saying. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ recognizes that your, your worth, your contentment, that thing inside you that makes you realize that you are worthwhile, has nothing to do with your pocketbook, with your 401k balance, or with how much stuff is coming from Amazon every day. Money, possessions, are not going to bring you contentment. Period. You know, that verse right there, Hebrew, well, he took it down, but Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That, that verse has had meaning to many different people. In fact, uh, last week when I was done preaching, Jack came up to me and said, that verse, Hebrews 13, 5, had a profound impact on him. Do you remember we went through the entire book of Hebrews a couple years ago? That one verse, Hebrews 13, 5, changed Jack, Jack's life. Jack and Sonia. Changed their life. That, that one verse, Jack told me, was the reason why he stopped Jack's entertainment. Remember, he used to be like a traveling DJ. Like that one verse changed everything for him. Brought different perspective on all of what they were doing in their life. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, if just that one verse was taken to heart by people in our country, just keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then the the next part, because you know if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, here's what you know. God's with you. God's with you. Like you don't need stuff. To bring what only God's presence in your life is capable of bringing to you. It is not stuff. Hmm. So what are we supposed to do with money? I mean, the the passages that I just read, I could preach sermons on those. What are we good? What are we supposed to learn from the Lord through the entire through the entire scope of God's revelation to us? I want to briefly go through the scope of God's revelation to us on money. Okay, I'm going to try this today, and, and we're going to see how it lands. Okay, so that's, that's a big task. I think we can do it, though. So let's start. Well, I think we should start in Genesis. I, I think that that's a good place to start. Look at Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Now, this is the story. It's part of Abraham's story, and we're going to read this. I mean, it's very short, but here's, here's what happened. Abraham's nephew, Lot, got in trouble. That seems to be what Lot did. He got in trouble. Abraham had to come and he had to rescue Lot. And he had, he had to get in a battle. And Abraham won the battle and rescued Lot. Okay? And so this is what happens right after that. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and 
Blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now again, I could preach a whole bunch of stuff on Melchizedek. That's not the purpose of this uh, time today. But I do want to point your attention to something. Okay? Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Why? Why did Abram decide to give Melchizedek, the priest, a tenth of everything? Well, I think that's a worthwhile question. I do want to say this. We have to read this in context, and we have to understand what genre of Scripture this is. Okay? This is historical narrative. In other words, it is a written account of what happened, not necessarily what is supposed to happen in every case. Okay? Does that make sense? It's what happened, not what is supposed to happen in every case. Now, in other words... What we see here is a principle at work, not a rule. I just want to be be careful. This is a principle, not a rule. See, if you read Genesis like everything's a rule, you're going to come up with some strange rules, like it's okay to lie to a king that your wife's not your wife, so he can take her as as his wife, right? I mean, we're not going to take that as a rule, okay? That's what happened. Everybody got that? Got to be careful how you read Scripture in context, understanding what the genre is. Now, it's not a rule, but it does give us an interesting principle, doesn't it? Abraham was a man of faith. A man that we are to see as an example of someone who had faith in God. The kind of faith, Abraham had the kind of faith that came out in his everyday life. Now, again, I I just... I'm not saying Abraham was perfect. I just told you a way that he messed up, right, with the whole Egypt thing. But he still held up as an example of what it means to have faith and to have the kind of faith that affects the way you live, which, by the way, is the only kind of faith that matters, right? The kind of faith that affects the way you live. And so it's helpful for us to look at Abraham's life. And what do we learn from this? We learn that Abraham recognized that his victory was not his own victory alone. Now, track with me. He recognized that God's hand of blessing was upon him in the battle that he had won. He recognized it wasn't just his own strength that did it, right? And part of that recognition was not just words. And then this, this is so important. This is, this is so vital. Abraham didn't just say to Melchizedek, yes, God granted me this victory. Do you know what Abraham did? He said, yes, God granted me this victory, and I'm going to give 10% of what I did in recognition of that. He put literally his money where his mouth was. Did you get that? He put his faith into action by giving a tenth, a tithe. It was, it's, it's a matter of the heart, do you see? It's a matter of submission. Submission is when you recognize that there's someone above you that you owe honor to, that you are the servant, they are the master. Do you see that? This is what submission is. Submission is the idea that God was instrumental in Abraham winning the battle. Did God need the 10%? Of course not. We say that every week. We, 
we partake in the offering time, don't we? I say that every week. God doesn't need our money. It's so silly. I think God needs our money. He created the entire universe from nothing. You think he needs your shiny gold objects. Of course he does not. That's crazy theology to think God needs our money. And any TV preacher that says that says something like that, can I suggest you just stop listening to that TV preacher? That, that's crazy. It's craziness. It's crazy bad theology to say that God needs our money. Crazy bad theology. He's the creator of everything. Did God require Abraham to give 10%? The answer is no. He didn't. Abraham, it was like an overflow of Abraham's recognition that God had, had helped him win the battle. You see that? It, just, it was just a natural overflow. Uh, it was a natural response of Abraham. Did God accept it? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Why? Because it was an act of faith. It was an act of putting his faith into practice. Now, it was a proper act of, here's that word, submission. That's what it was. You see that? A proper act of submission. God's interaction with Abraham's descendants grew and grew from this point. Now, if you know the Old Testament story, the Old Testament story is the story of one family, Abraham's family. It's one family. And Moses and the law and Israel as a nation all grew. The, the idea of how to use money and resources grew from this story in Abraham. And then you, get, you end up, you know, in the law with Moses, you end up in Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 29. Uh, and th- this is just one example of many examples in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers about this. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord. Did you catch that? So that you will learn to revere the Lord. Submission. The purpose of this is submission. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. And it goes on and on, and it it basically says give a tenth, okay? So, this whole idea of tithing, this whole idea of giving back, it's, it's connected specifically with recognizing your place compared to God's place. You see that? It's all about submission. Now, of course, if you know the story of the Old Testament, then you know something else about the nation of Israel. Um, they didn't do a very good job at this. Uh, submitting to God did not come naturally, nor did it come easily, nor did they do it very often. (laughs) They weren't good at this. They weren't good at submitting to God. And God, of course, sent prophets to them when they got off track. God would send a prophet for them to get back on track. And of course, I'm going to quote Malachi here, which is a a well-known passage about tithing. But if you've never heard this passage before, this should cause you to sit up and take notice. Okay? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. One of the very last, I mean, this is the second to last chapter in the entire Old Testament. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? 
Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Seems clear that in the New Testament, I'm sorry, it seems clear that in the Old Testament, there is a covenantal expectation of giving at least a tenth of your income to the Lord as an act of submission. Submission. It's a minimum expectation, a minimum expectation in the Old Testament. So what does this mean for us today? After all, we are not under the Old Testament, right? You remember what the word testament means. The word testament means covenant, contract. So the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old contract and the new contract. We just celebrated in Jesus' blood the inauguration of the new contract from the old. I just said it this morning as part of the the ceremony of communion. So what do we know about this whole idea of money in the New Testament, in the new covenant that applies directly to us? Well, I think a helpful place to start is something Jesus said to the Pharisees. Look in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, 23 through 24, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have preached, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Jesus has a way of putting it, doesn't he? Now, I, wanted, I want you to notice something about this, this passage. A couple things, just real quickly. First of all, you know, spices are not big. Right? Like, you don't need very much dill to make things dill-y. Right? You don't need very much. So, if you're tithing on your dill, it's like a, like a little it's like sprig like you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure I tithe. Beep. Like this little sprig of dill. But I want you to notice something here, and this is important because people skip over this really, really quite frequently. Jesus does not tell the Pharisees that they shouldn't tithe their spices. Did you get that? He does tell them that tithing without the proper attitude of their hearts is them being a hypocrite. That's what he does say. And I love, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What was practicing the latter? 
justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. What was the former that they were not supposed to neglect? Tithing their spices. Did you get that? Jesus said, you're supposed to tithe your spices, but it doesn't do any good to tithe your spices if your heart's all messed up. It does, it does no good to tithe if you do not have submission of heart. There's that word again. Tithing's about submission. Giving to the Lord. Managing your money is about submission to God. And the act of tithing, if done for show, means less than nothing. In fact, it's actually worse than not doing anything because you're a hypocrite. It's worse. So to tithe with the wrong heart is worse than not tithing. Are you, are you tracking with me? Because now you're a hypocrite. Now you're a hypocrite. And you, you give Jesus and God a bad name by doing that. You, and when you do things like that for show, just don't, okay? Just don't. It's better not to. Go get your heart right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you, you don't have submission in your heart to God. The Pharisees were not submitted to God at all. Even though they were outwardly going through the motions, they were following the rules, right? They were outwardly following the rules, even down to the sprig of dill, right? But inwardly, they were not in an attitude of submission to the Lord. They were not tithing because they loved God and loved their neighbor. They were tithing because they wanted everybody to see how good they were. That's different. Did you get that? Oh, I'm so good. I tithe even my dill. Um, Jesus basically said, why don't you stick your dill up your nose and get your heart right? I mean, I'm paraphrasing slightly. But, you know, I'm, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. Call them hypocrites. Submission to God is not about looking good. This brings us to two fundamental New Testament principles, New Testament principles, principles that apply to us as believers under the new covenant. Two principles that I want to say to you. The first one, it's going to seem like it's not related, but I think it is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Do you understand that as believers, as lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, do you understand that we have been entrusted with the message that brings people reconciliation with God? We have the message that gives people eternal life. Do you know... I said this last week, it's worth saying again, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Come on, Spider-Man, you guys with me? Yeah, okay. It, it's, we, have, we have the message that brings people eternal life. Do you know what matters how we live our life when that's the case? Because people see it. Now, again, you got to be careful. You can't do things, I just said. You can't do things just because... You want people to see it and look good. But I'm saying your heart submission to God or lack thereof will be visible. 
by the way you use your money. Full stop. Your attitude, your submission or lack of submission to God in your heart will be visible in the way you use your money. That was pretty good. That might even be worth a third time. Your submission to God will be visible in your use of money. Or your lack of submission to God will be equally visible in your use of money. So that's the first principle in the New Testament. It matters if you're submitted to God in here. It matters in how you use your money. Second thing, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've been mentioning Romans 12, 1 and 2 uh, quite a few times in, in the past few sermons leading up to and including this idea of stewardship. Our sacrifice is all that we are. Okay? So, if, if in the Old Testament, the minimum requirement was the tithe, do you want to know what the minimum requirement is in the New Testament? All. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. All. There is no portion of your money under the new covenant that you get to set aside for yourself. Because all means all. You put your body on the altar. All that you are is the sacrifice. See, we get confused and think, well, I can just give a tenth. The other 90s for me. That's not New Covenant thinking. That's not New Testament thinking. New Testament thinking is, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, all that I am is the Lord's. All of it. And all, all of my resources, all of my talent, all of my time, my temple, all of it, it's God's. It's not a portion God's and the rest is for me. That is false thinking under the covenant of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then, you know, this passage here in James, James chapter 4, I think there's a whole lot of wisdom here and it applies directly, but just listen to this. James 4, 1 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, that's a, that's a good question to ask, isn't it, right now? I think that's a great question to ask. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you, but you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, man. Is, is God reading our mail here? I don't know. You tell me. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
Hmm. That sounds like America. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Submission and humbleness are how you draw close to God. Hmm. Submission and humbleness are characteristics of lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And in that same chapter, just a few verses later, I read this one last week, but it's worth repeating. James 4.17. <clears throat> Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And you know what's interesting? What's interesting is the very next verse. It's chapter 5. So, anyone then who knows the good... Go back one, way. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, and now watch what comes next in James. Next verse. Now listen, you rich people. (laughs) Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. So here we have a group of rich people who are oppressing poor people, right? That's what you got here. You got rich people who live in luxury and self-indulgence and don't give any money to help those around them. They don't even pay those who are working for them in a timely way. Did you catch all that? Hmm. It matters how we use our money. Submission to God and humbleness are very important. And now the end of the matter. The end of the matter today is a parable of Jesus that I want to read. Are you guys up for it or should I save it for next week? I'll save it for next week if you want. Are you up for it? Okay. Because this parable, it's hard. It's difficult. I can do this in 10 minutes. We'll be out of here at 1130. But this is a difficult parable. Here we go. Luke chapter 16. If you want to turn there. 
You can? I'm going to read this parable through. I do want you to know, um, some commentators have said this is the most difficult parable of Jesus in the book of Luke. Okay? So, Luke 16, 1 through 7. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Well, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay, I'm going to stop here. If you are the rich man who already was torqued at your manager for not managing well, okay? And then your manager goes and does this. You tell me, what do you expect the rich man to say? Say it. Say it. You're fired, right? That's what you expect the rich man to say. Am I right? Am I right? That's the, expect, that's the expectation. I mean, here's a manager who's called in by his boss because he's not managing well, okay? And in response, because the manager knows he's probably going to get fired, he goes to all of the people that owe his master money, and he lowers their bill, right? So, if you're the rich guy, what you expect is you are canned, buddy. You're done. Get out of here. Right? Look at the next verse. The master commended the dishonest manager. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Because this is Jesus. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What in the world is going on in this parable? The rich guy should have fired the manager. He definitely should not have commended him. Why? Okay, like I told you, difficult parable. You could talk a long time about this parable. I'm not going to. I'm going to suggest something. Okay, just a couple things that I think are helpful. First of all, 
Jesus told parables as his primary teaching method because it got their attention. All right? So Jesus, when, he, when he's preaching in parables, teaching in parables, he was on purpose startling people. Okay? So as you read parables in the Gospels, you need to recognize Jesus is doing this to surprise his audience. It's helpful for you to know that because you need to try to understand that's supposed to be surprising. All right? Sometimes you read the parables flat, like Jesus is just telling us something. He's, he's trying to surprise us as his way of teaching, okay? So, I'm not going to dig into everything today. I just want to highlight this. Number one, 300 gallons of oil. Did you, did you get that? 300 gallons of oil. In How much is that? Um, it's three years' salary of a day wage earner. It's three years of salary of a day wage earner. So in our day, it's like $120,000 worth of oil. Okay? The 1,000 bushels of wheat was like eight to nine years' salary. So we're talking like $360,000 worth of, of wheat. It was a lot. Okay? The second thing I want to let you know is, you know, he cut, he cut the amount that they owed. Why did he do that? I think a way to help understand this parable is that the manager may have, now I said may have, we're not sure, but the manager may have cut his portion. You see that? The manager may have cut his portion from what he was going to get. See that? And or cut some of the interest. So it's possible, again, this parable is debatable, but it's possible that, that this manager who was shrewd, he recognized that it was important because he might just lose his job for, to give these other people a bargain so that when he lost his job, those other people would help him. You see that? And the way, the, what he could cut was his cut. That's what he could cut. Do You see what he did there? He cut his portion. Now, that's debatable. And I want to give you now the three keys to understanding this parable. They're right in the passage. But these are tricky because we're not used to hearing things like this in our culture. Here's key number one. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Key number one. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, this is a weird one. This is weird. Do you understand that, like, what I'm telling you as a pastor right now? I'm telling you to spend money on people to make friends. And that sounds un-American. It sounds unchristian, doesn't it? It sounds unchristian. Except it's Jesus saying it to us as the concluding statement that is the key to understanding this parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus is, himself is saying... Use your resources to make friends. Do you know what the opposite of this is? Hoard your resources for yourself. That's the opposite of this. Why do we have money? Why do we have resources? If you've got the mindset that you just worked really hard and earned it for yourself, then I guess maybe you should just hoard it and spend it on yourself. 
Except that's not of God. Right? What is of God? Of God is, it's all God's. And why would God entrust you with it? Can I suggest to use it for that? Here's a reason to use money. Are you ready? Bam. You use money to gain friends. And why? Because when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Did you get that? I'm going to translate this. This is Mark, you used to do this. I said it last week too. You never see a U-Haul truck following a hearse. Right? You can't take it with you. So use it for that. Doesn't it seem weird that I'm saying that? It just seems like, is that, is that right? I've never heard a sermon on that before. Spend your money to gain friends. Never heard that sermon until today. Because it's Jesus' words. That's the first key. The second key to understanding this parable is in the next verse. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Okay. Tithing does not start when you make money. Tithing starts as soon as you make any money. So, if you're a kid and you mow yards, and somebody pays you 20 bucks to mow a yard, the minimum to tithe is two bucks in the old covenant. In the new covenant, all $20 in your brain needs to be thought of as how am I going to glorify the Lord with this $20? And if you don't do it with 20 bucks, you're sure not going to do it with 200000 Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Tithing starts when you make any money. Any money. Because any, everything that we are, remember, we are the sacrifice on the altar. All of that we are. This is, and this is not a salvation question like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you want to know what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, this is the answer. Your whole body's on the altar. All that you are. Third key to understand this parable. <coughs> it's in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. You're either going to love God or you're going to love money. You're not going to love both. You're either going to live your life with your hand out or your hand closed. You can't do both. It doesn't work like this. Use your money to gain friends. In other words, use your money. Can I just put that in a little bit? Let me just shift this slightly. What's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? There's two parts to it. Number one, 
Love the Lord your God with all that you are, heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Okay, so use your money for those two things. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. What do you need to do to love your neighbor as yourself? You know, when that girl was in the ditch and I stopped, the temptation was, keep driving, it's cold, right? That thought entered my mind, don't stop. It's cold, it's dangerous, right? I had to take that thought captive to Christ, right? And say, are you kidding me right now? I got to help this person, right? I stopped. It was dangerous. That's not the issue, is it? It's about recognizing all that I have is to be used for God, to help other folks. All that I have, I don't, I don't know what that's going to have, lasting effect. That's a kind of, God's got to use that now, right? But we got to be ready to use our resources for these things. We got to be ready to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in 2022. Conclusion. Old Testament, 10% was the minimum, the minimum tithe, the required amount. But based upon always, always, always a submissive heart, this comes back to submission to God. New Testament, we're to give everything to God. That's the principle for New Testament living. It's all God's. It's all God's. And we're supposed to use what we've been given to do the great commandment and the great commission. We're supposed to use all of that for that purpose. I'm just going to end with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Like, there you go. That's why you work, folks. That's the reason that you are earning money, that you are slaving away at your professions. It's to help folks. It's to help others. It's to use your money to gain friends. It's to glorify God with all that you are, and that includes your resources, doesn't it? Yes, it does. In 2022, will you be submissive and humble in your use of money? Thank you, Lord. For this time we've had to look at your word, to be in the old covenant, to look at the new covenant, to look at the words of Jesus, the teaching of this parable. Lord God, I pray that in 2022, this this message would stay with us. It would permeate us and that our hearts would be submissive to you with our resources. In Jesus' name.